we happen to be in a series on the Gospel of John, and we're in the upper room, chapters 13 through 17. And that section of Scripture, the section of Scripture we're currently uh, expounding in these weeks, has more concentrated material on the person and work of the Holy Spirit than any other book of the Bible. So you're in a good place if you want to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what His ministry is. Jesus talks a great deal about the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Jesus is leaving His disciples. That's what's announced at the beginning of their time together. He's going to go away. And He's equipping them with knowledge they need to have in order to cope with the physical absence of their Savior. He's leaving them. But he says in the passage we're looking at this morning, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And it's in this context that he reveals to them that he's going to send to them the Holy Spirit, which at this time would have been new revelation to these disciples. So I'd like us to begin this morning. We're going to see this again in chapter 15, chapter 16, even chapter 17. But I want us to begin this morning to build a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what is his peculiar or special ministry. But in order, I think, to build a biblical understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, I feel, at least in our context, it's necessary to do a little deconstruction first. We want to construct or build on the Bible's teaching of the Holy Spirit, but I think because there are so many wrong notions about who the Holy Spirit is, we've got to do a little deconstruction uh, first. So I want to share with you just a few, I think, prevalent misunderstandings, or we could even call them myths, that are prevalent in our day and age, even in Christian contexts, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit so we can be on guard against them in our own Christian lives. I have four of them here that I've listed, and there are others beyond these four, but four that I want us to be especially on guard against. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is not a vague, impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a vague, impersonal force. He is a person. He is a a he. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And he communicates with God's people. And there is a relationship that exists between Christian people and the Holy Spirit. It's something approximating blasphemy when a Christian refers to the Holy Spirit as it. He's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is God, and He is a personal, relational, divine being. Now, the second misunderstanding or myth, the Holy Spirit's work, His work now, the Holy Spirit's work is not to generate ecstatic spontaneity, not to generate ecstatic spontaneity in the Christian life, in the worship of God, or in the ministry of the local church. Some people talk about the Holy Spirit as though this is what He primarily does. If you have spontaneous feelings or urges or impressions, well, that's what the Holy Spirit's there for. He's the one who brings the spontaneity to the Christian life and to the worship gathering. You would never get that if you were reading the Scriptures. That is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. People that that speak of God telling them something in a spontaneous moment, totally divorced from any passage of Scripture. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's something else. People that think the height of Spirit-filled experience is to do some sort of dance and worship or to have some sort of ecstatic, spontaneous sort of expression in the context of worship, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He doesn't come to make us spontaneous and unhinged and ecstatic. That's not conveyed to us in the Scriptures. Now, the third myth to be on the lookout for, the Holy Spirit's work is not principally to produce charismatic gifts in the church. I said that very carefully. The Holy Spirit's work is principally not to, give va- excuse me, not to produce charismatic gifts in the church. I think gifts like tongues and prophecy and healing and things like that. Personally, I, be- I believe those things do happen in some limited context in the world, but that is not primarily what the Spirit is doing in our age. If you consulted every single reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible and you formed a pie chart, you know what a pie chart is? You know, I say, what's the big deal with the Holy Spirit? The idea of producing charismatic gifts is present, but it's just a small little sliver of the pie. And yet there are whole movements of churches and movements of Christians who think that is the primary, even the only thing the Spirit does, that He comes to produce charismatic gifts in us. That's a very minor strand on the Holy Spirit's ministry in Scripture. And then fourthly and finally, the Holy Spirit's work is not principally to give vague impressions to people, to precipitate particular decisions and actions. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to us and indwell us in order to create sort of vague impressions that we feel, to precipitate various actions and decisions. I'll think of a silly example, but it's an example I've heard before, okay? Husband and wife are walking through a home considering whether or not they're going to buy it, and the wife says, I feel the Holy Spirit impressing me that this is the house. Now, maybe that is the house. Maybe you should buy that house. But we should not think that the Spirit's work is principally to give us sort of vague, spontaneous impressions to precipitate certain actions and decisions. But it's very common for Christians to talk about the Holy Spirit in that way. Well, we shouldn't be frustrated with that woman who who speaks in that way or that man who would speak in that way. But maybe we should be frustrated with the pastor who has taught them to speak in that way. Because that's not the way the Bible speaks about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So those are just some, some myths, misunderstandings to be on the lookout for. And it's not just that these things are wrong in light of Scripture. It's that you wouldn't even want them to be right. Because as we'll see in a moment, what the Holy Spirit actually does in our lives is so much more wonderful and so much more glorious than ecstatic spontaneity or vague impressions or charismatic gifts. What He is actually doing in the lives of His people and in the ministry of His church is a far more grand and glorious thing than we often think. So now I want us to ask this question of John 14, verses 15 through 31. The question is this, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to give a general answer to that question, and we will look at this answer, return to this answer again and again in the coming weeks. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to mediate to the believer the presence and ministry of the Lord Jesus. What does the Holy Spirit do? Why is He in our lives? What's His function? The Holy Spirit comes to mediate to the believer the presence and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Mediate is is the best verb to use there. Um, But if you're tripping over that word, you could use the verb bring, okay? The Holy Spirit comes to bring to the believer 
The presence and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that Jesus is present in our lives, in our hearts, in our church? It is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes so that Christians might experience fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ, might experience His presence in their lives. And He comes so that Christians can be molded and shaped and conformed and changed according to the character and person of Jesus Christ. And He comes and indwells the Christian in order to bring to them the assurance that they indeed are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to bring to us, to mediate to us, the presence and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And there is nothing better that He can do for us. So what can be affirmed about the ministry of the Holy Spirit from John 14? I have five true statements about the Holy Spirit that are established in John 14. We'll consider them one after another. Uh, First of all, consider with me, the Holy Spirit is a divine and personal being. The Holy Spirit is a divine and personal being. Please look with me at verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. We see here the Holy Spirit is referred to as a He, that is to say He is not an impersonal force, but a personal being. He lives in perfect communion and fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. That is to say He's divine, He's sent from the Father. And He is a communicative being. He lives in actual relationship with believers such that Jesus says He will be with you and will be in you such that it can be said, you will know Him. You'll relate to Him. You'll have knowledge of Him as you have knowledge of your husband or your wife or your mother or your father or your sons or your daughters. You'll know Him. You will live in relationship with Him and have personal contact with Him. That's the first true statement from this passage. The Holy Spirit is a divine and personal being. Now consider with me secondly. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father to personally indwell the believer in the context of Christ's physical absence. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father to personally indwell the believer in the context of Christ's physical absence. Look again at verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. We see that the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father. He's sent from the Father. In another place, Jesus will say He's sent from the Father in Jesus' name. uh, uh, Precipitating this idea that the Father and the Son send forth the Holy Spirit. And, And He's referred to here as the helper, at least in the ESV. Other translations may have the counselor or the comforter or even the advocate. The word they're trying to translate is a very difficult word to translate. It's a Greek word, uh, parakletos, from which we get our English word, which most people aren't familiar with anyway, uh, is paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Now, what's a paraclete? 
uh, a paraclete, uh, you athletes in the room. It's a cleat. Something, it's a shoe, right, that you use for athletics, okay? Same word from which we get paraclete and cleats uh, is at work there. And then para, meaning to come alongside. So what is the paraclete? He's the one who runs alongside us, comes alongside us, but comes alongside us to serve a particular function. He comes to aid us, to support us, to succor us, to help us, to counsel us, to comfort us. And this word in Paul's, or excuse me, John's day would have had legal overtones to it. That is, legal defense, legal aid, legal counsel. That's why they'd even advocate is an appropriate interpretation of this word. So it's hard to translate in the English. But the idea is that the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father to us as one who runs alongside us to aid us and to help us and to defend us and to support us. And he's referred to as another paraclete, which, which means like another like the one you've had previously, another one of the same kind, which might lead us ask, to ask the question, who was the first paraclete? Who is that? I think it's Jesus. Jesus has been for them something like a paraclete. And in fact, John will write an epistle later on, epistle 1 John, it's in our Bibles, and in chapter 2, verse 1, he literally refers to Jesus as the paraclete. He says, if we sin, we have a paraclete with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father, a legal counselor with the Father, someone who comes to succor us and aid us and help us in the presence of the Father. Jesus was this first paraclete who helped and aided the disciples, but now he says, my Father's going to send another paraclete, another one to come alongside and support and help you, one like me who will give to you aid and help and support, another helper. And then we see that this helper who comes, who the Father's going to send, at the end of verse 17, it says, you know him for he dwells with you, which makes sense, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. But then it says, and will be in you. Now that's an interesting idea. I take it to mean that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who performs the function of a parakletos, will personally indwell each believer, will live in them, will dwell in them. Personally, I think this is what Jesus means when he says in verse 23 that my Father and I will make a home with him. How is it that that Jesus has made a residence in your heart and in your life, a home in your heart and in your life. He has done it by the Holy Spirit who comes to personally indwell every child of God, every follower of Christ. Uh, so what we see here is that the Spirit is sent from the Father as a helper, a counselor, a comforter to come alongside to aid the believer, and He will personally indwell the believer, which means if you're here this morning and you have faith in Christ, are united to Christ, are a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Lord Jesus and the Father have sent him to you to be with you, to indwell you, and to perform the function of a helper to you, a comforter to you. Now that's the status quo now for all those who are in Christ. And maybe you're used to thinking about it in this way. The Holy Spirit lives in me. This would have been new information for these disciples. I think if we look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, not just in John, but in the whole canon of Scripture, we learn that this sort of personal indwelling was not present in the Old Testament, at least not in the way it would be present after 9 a.m. on the day of Pentecost. 
in Acts 2. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit is present. We read, even in Genesis 1, the Spirit hovered over the waters. And there's references to the Spirit as God's agent in uh, creation and God's agent in revelation and even in salvation. But the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and even the doctrine of the Trinity is somewhat obscure in the Old Testament. It is revealed to us with greater clarity in the New Testament. And what's more than that, now this unique ministry of the Holy Spirit, of indwelling the believer personally, is not realized until Jesus comes and inaugurates a new covenant in His own blood and sends the Spirit to indwell the believer. Now, now I think we know this because when the prophet spoke about the new covenant and the coming of the Messiah, one of the things they talked about was the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we read in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, as Ezekiel foretells of the coming of Christ and the coming of the new covenant, which we now live under. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The idea is this, a new age is coming and one of the things that will mark and distinguish that new age is that I will send my very own spirit, the spirit of God, to indwell my people. That's... The work the Holy Spirit comes to do in this new covenant age. This is why John says in John 7 uh, at the Feast of Booths, uh, we saw this earlier, he says, as of yet the Holy Spirit was not. doesn't mean that he didn't exist. It just means that he had not yet come in power and in relationship in the way that he would in the new covenant age after Jesus sends the Spirit. And then now we get to John 14 and Jesus is saying, this age is about to come. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the cross And then I'll rise, and then I'll go to my Father, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you another helper, uh, even the Spirit of truth, who will personally indwell each one of you. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. All right, now on to the third statement that can be affirmed about the Holy Spirit from this passage. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a divine and personal being. Number two, the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father to personally indwell the believer in the context of Christ's physical absence. Number three, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring the presence of Christ to the believer. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring the presence of Christ to the believer. Uh, If you're wondering, just a short commercial break from the sermon here. We're having some work done on our HVAC units. Uh, I don't believe they're working at this time. And uh, so it's getting a little warm in here. If you are uh, a man by conscience who wears a tie, feel free to loosen that tie this morning because uh, it's uh, going to get a little warm in here this morning. Uh, number three, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring the presence of Christ to the believer. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. 
Now, what is Jesus talking about here? How is it that Jesus will come to the disciples and they'll see him and know him and experience him? How's that going to happen? Well, there's some who think Jesus is here referring to the resurrection. Like literally, I'm going to go and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again and I will come to you. You will see me and because I live, you will live also. And that could be the meaning here. But if that is the meaning, we have to deal with the fact that Jesus after leaving them the first time, leaves them again. Because shortly after, he rises from the dead. He doesn't stay with them. He leaves them and returns to his Father. So, so what is it that Jesus is talking about? I understand him to be saying in these verses that his presence will be with the disciples, will persevere with the disciples, and will be sustained through the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer. How is it that Christ is going to come to us and be with us? How is it that we're going to experience His presence in our lives? It will be by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, He says. I'm going to come to you. And how is it that He comes to us? It is by the person of the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 26, one chapter over, Jesus says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In other words, he's going to point to me. He's going to bring my presence to you. He's going to bring my truth to you. He's going to bring uh, my, my, my ministry to you. He will bear witness about me, Jesus says. You might think of the Holy Spirit's ministry as a spotlight ministry. You know what a spotlight does, right? Spotlight is not a decorative light. It's not a light you're meant to look at and it's a light that's shining on something else, and your gaze is meant to go from the spotlight to whatever the spotlight is, spotlighting. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is spotlighting the person and work and presence and ministry of Jesus Christ. And He wants you, Christian, to glory in and celebrate and worship and experience the presence and ministry and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not offended at all if your gaze is taken up with the person of Jesus Christ. That's what He came for. That's why He indwells us, so that we would know and appreciate and love and serve and worship and adore the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in essence, says this in chapter 16, if you'll just turn over one page. John 16, verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is saying, look at Jesus, worship Jesus, see Jesus, appreciate Jesus, love Jesus, enjoy, adore Jesus. He's spotlighting the person and work of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring to believers the presence and ministry of Christ Himself, to glorify Jesus. I am leaving you, Jesus is saying, but I will be present with you, and I will be with you in a way far more profound than you could possibly imagine. You're going to experience intimacy and fellowship and communion with me that you have not yet experienced. And what's more, Jesus will go on to say that this presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in our hearts is understood to be better than the immediate physical presence of Jesus. Now, would you say that? 
that it's better to have Jesus dwelling within you by the Holy Spirit than to have him outside of you physically present with you. Now that's a big statement, right? But Jesus says exactly that in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's like Jesus is saying, you know, up until now, I stand outside of you and apart from you. You depend on hearing my words. If you want to feel the warmth of my affection for you, I have to wrap my arms around you. But there's coming a day when I'm going to personally indwell you and and live in you. And that is far better than me standing outside of you. And the effect that that is going to have in your life is far greater than me standing outside and apart from you. Now, isn't that verifiably true in the experience of the disciples? Jesus stands outside of them. He teaches them, and he's with them, and he labors with them. But if you survey the Gospels, the disciples are not a very impressive bunch. Uh, They don't appear to us as a faith-filled bunch. But those disciples turned apostles in the book of Acts after the descending of the Holy Spirit in power, coming to personally indwell each one of them, are rather heroic figures, aren't they? That's the effect the Holy Spirit had on these disciples. And it's the effect he has on us when he comes to personally indwell a man or a woman. He brings to us the presence and ministry of Jesus Christ in a way far more personal and profound than was true under the old covenant and was even true in Jesus' day when he stood outside and apart from the believers. And the Spirit comes to make known the experience of relationship and intimacy in the presence of the Lord Jesus This is the point of the Holy Spirit's ministry. He is sent for this purpose, to bring to believers the presence of Christ. Now the fourth truth statement. Fourth statement we can affirm from John 14 about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry involves bringing the truth of Christ to bear on the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit's ministry involves bringing the truth of Christ to bear on the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit is not the one who introduces ambiguity into the Christian life. He's not the one who comes to bring us vague impressions or or indistinct notions in our Christian lives. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. Three times He's referred to as the Spirit of Truth. In verse 17, in John 15, verse 26, in John 16, Verse 13, he is the spirit of truth in the sense that he comes to communicate truth and to ground God's people in the truth. Not ecstatic spontaneity, not vague and ambiguous impressions and notions. The Holy Spirit's ministry is a truth ministry. To bring the truth of Christ to the mind, to the heart, to the life of the Christian. And so where you see a person who is not regulated and tossed to and fro by waves and winds, is not so spontaneous, irregular, and unstable, but rather is grounded in the truth, stable in the truth, consistent in the truth, loves the truth, 
knows the truth and lives a life in accord with the truth. That is the person who has come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not trying to work us into a frenzy of spontaneity. The Holy Spirit comes to make us truth people, to make us Bible people, to make us lovers of the truth and livers of the truth. He comes to bring the truth of Christ to bear upon our lives, that we might know that truth and be conformed to that truth. And it's probably important to state at this point, it's not new truth that the Spirit is bringing. He doesn't come to bring new truth to us. People will say, the Spirit revealed to me, and then they'll say something extra biblical. That's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Rather, the Holy Spirit comes to take the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus and impress it upon our hearts and our lives. He says, John 14, verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I'm going to tell you new things, new revelation. He's going to bring to your remembrance, your mind, the things that I have said to you, and as yet you do not understand and appreciate. And he's going to illumine the inner significance of the truth. And he's going to show you the relevance of the truth for your lives and help you to comprehend and appreciate how it all fits together. John 16, verses 12 through 15, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, you disciples here, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you, or make it manifest to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to whisper new revelation in your ear. He doesn't even come, Jesus says, on his own authority. He comes and says, I have things from the Word of God to tell you. I bring to you the teaching ministry of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I and bringing this to your mind in a compelling and powerful and impressive way. Not new truth, but a new spirit who comes to illumine the truth and bring it to our minds in a compelling way, whereby we understand it and appreciate it and understand how it is relevant for our lives. The Holy Spirit brings the truth of Christ to bear on the life of the believer. The Spirit continues the teaching ministry of Jesus, and He will say nothing that Christ himself has not said. The Spirit doesn't come to tell us new things. He speaks not on his own authority, but ever he hears, he speaks. He will take what is Christ, he will declare it to us. He brings the truth of Christ to bear on the life of the believer. And he will show the disciples how the truth fits together, and he will illumine its significance for their lives. So brothers and sisters, I urge you, don't think of the Spirit's ministry in your life as producing ecstatic spontaneity or spontaneous epiphanies or something like that. Now, sometimes the Spirit does do that for us. He did it for the apostles. But that's not ordinarily how it works. How does the, the truth ministry of the Holy Spirit come to you in your life? 
you want to experience the presence and work of the spirit of truth in your life. Well, how's that ministry going to get to you? How's it going to come to you? It's through very ordinary things. It's through your consistent, regular, quiet time. Read the Word of God, and all of a sudden, you see something you didn't appreciate before in the reading of God's Word. The Spirit's truth ministry comes to us in the week-in, week-out exposition of God's Word in corporate worship. Have you had the experience in the last year or two of being in the corporate worship of God or in a Bible class or in a sermon, and you appreciate some aspect of the truth you didn't quite appreciate before? I hope that happens often here. You understand something about Jesus better through study of God's Word. That is the ministry of the Spirit of Truth. It happens in closets at 6.30 in the morning with people reading their Bible. It happens at coffee shops one-on-one with a brother or sister studying God's Word. It happens in equipped classes and Sunday morning sermons. It happens in small groups as the text of Scripture is opened up and appreciated. It doesn't happen divorced from God's Word. It doesn't happen by sitting in a circle out in the woods holding your hands up in the air waiting for some sort of epiphany. The Spirit of truth comes to make the truth of Christ manifest in our lives. The Spirit of truth comes to take what is Christ and declare it to us and bring it to bear upon our lives. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fifth and final truth statement, and we'll end with this. The Holy Spirit comes to nurture fellowship between the believer and God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit comes to nurture fellowship or communion between the believer and God the Father and God the Son. Jesus said in John 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then verse 20 says, in that day, which I understand to be in that, that new day, that new era, that new age. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What's he talking about there? He's talking about communion with God. This isn't a great analogy, hopefully not irreverent. You see those children's toys, you have big block, and in that, you open it up, there's a smaller block, and you open that one up, and there's a smaller block, that sort of thing. The Son is in the Father, and we are in the Son, and therefore we dwell in communion with the Godhead. The life that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share with each other in perfect harmony, perfect communion, and perfect equipoise, we enter into that relationship. Jesus invites us into the life of the Godhead, and He does that by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to illumine our minds to understand the truth and to generate, create, nurture, stimulate fellowship and communion and intimacy with God. You are meant to live in fellowship with the living God, creator and sustainer of the universe, the God of redemption and salvation. You're meant to live in fellowship and communion with Him, and that is brought about by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
There's a sense in which your entire life is about pursuing intimacy with God and relationship with God. In some sense, that is the theme of the Bible, that God will dwell with man. That was the situation in the garden. In a sense, that's the situation in the gospel, Emmanuel, God with us. And that is the scene we have in the book of Revelation, where God comes, the dwelling place of God is with man, perfectly and finally in its fullest fulfillment. But in this age, as we await that day, Jesus has not left us as orphans. He has made a way by sending the Holy Spirit by which we can experience communion and fellowship and relationship with God. And He comes into our lives to nurture that relationship. In closing, I'll just say this. Up early this morning, praying through this sermon, praying for you, it would be a legitimate criticism of this sermon to say, you know, this wasn't a very practical sermon. I didn't walk away with a lot of how-tos or a lot of applications, and I considered that as I prayed through the sermon. This is not a practical sermon if you don't want to experience communion with God. If fellowship and relationship and intimacy with God is not attractive to you, then the Holy Spirit's ministry is not attractive to you. The Holy Spirit's ministry is not useful to you. He comes to bring to us the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that matters to you, this is an eminently practical sermon. If there are some here who have been caught up in some of those errors I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, of thinking the Spirit's work doesn't rise above vague and ambiguous impressions or ecstatic, spontaneous experiences or the dawning of charismatic gifts, If you've fallen into that sort of error, this is eminently practical. Maybe you haven't been going to the Holy Spirit for the right things. Maybe you haven't had the sort of expectations of the Holy Spirit that are revealed in the Word of God. But He comes, brother, sister, to reveal Christ to you and to give you a profoundly meaningful communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and to help you penetrate deeper and deeper and deeper into the life of the Godhead. That's an eminently practical thing. And so I urge you, brother or sister, to remember your conversion and your coming into relationship with Christ by faith is not about fire insurance. It's about entering a relationship based on knowledge with the living God. And the Holy Spirit comes to give you a richer and fuller and deeper experience of that and to manifest the presence of Christ and the presence of the Father in yet deeper, richer, more wonderful ways in your Christian life. So I encourage you, brother or sister, ask God to give you a fuller experience of the Holy Spirit. And by that, you're not asking for charismatic gifts. Know that you're asking, I want to see Jesus better. I want to know Him better. I want to be in sweeter, more intimate communion and fellowship with Him. That's what the Spirit comes to give to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would please pardon us and forgive us for participating in the irreverences of our generation, 
not speaking rightly about the Holy Spirit, not appreciating the glory and wonder of His ministry in our lives. Lord, by Your Word and even by Your Spirit's help, cause us to appreciate it afresh. Cause us to know and understand and appreciate His ministry in accord with Your Word. May You give to each child of God in this room a greater experience of Your Spirit's work, which is to glorify the Lord Jesus in our lives. Bring to us the presence of our risen Savior through the Holy Spirit, uh, that we might better know Him and love Him and serve Him, better be made to change and be like Him through Your Spirit's residence in our hearts. Father, we pray that we would, in our thoughts about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, ascribe to each person thoughts and words and praise that is fitting the glory and majesty of our triune God. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us in these weeks who the Holy Spirit is, what He does in our lives, and may we be, in truth, a Spirit-filled congregation to the glory of the Lord Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.